Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is the 46 of 46 Podcast Summit Sessions, where we'll talk all things Adirondack, backcountry, and beyond. From high peak stories and adventures to trail tips and tricks, we'll dive deep into the heart of these mountains and the people who passionately climb them. Adirondack maps and spruce traps, bushwhacks and backpacks. It's all here on the 46 of 46 Summit Sessions. Hello out there and welcome back to the first Summit Session of 2022. I hope you're all having a nice start to the new year. It is currently a balmy negative three today here in sunny Lake Placid, New York. But of course, that is January in the Adirondacks for you. This week, I will, however, be taking it back to much, much warmer days. Back when shorts and t-shirts roamed the forest. The start of summer 2021. And if you followed this podcast for a while, you have heard many stories of people's attempts, both successful and unsuccessful, of setting fastest known time records here in the high peaks. And today I will be speaking with Matt Michella, who set a new unsupported FKT of the 46 high peaks back in June of 2021. And he broke the previous record by over 24 hours at that completing the entire route unsupported in just under five days. Starting at the East River Trailhead, the Allen Mountain Trailhead, at 5.50 a.m. on Tuesday, June 22nd, and finishing at the Marble Mountain Trailhead in Wilmington just around 3.45 a.m. Sunday, June 27th. A quick start to the summer for Matt. Very wild stuff. Now, I have heard a lot of people's stories at this point attempting to climb the 46 in one push, and it does really still to this day just amaze me what people can do out there when they make a plan and they just grind. It's very impressive. But today, Matt is going to take us through his route and tell us all about his journey setting the new unsupported FKT of our beloved 46 High Peaks. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to have you. James, thanks so much for having me. It's really good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. Now, I've done five or six episodes by now talking to people about FKT attempts, and you know, both successful and unsuccessful here on the podcast. And I am always completely amazed at the amount of miles people can do in one day, but particularly day after day. I mean, it is just it's wild. And my feet hurt just reading the mileages that you did. So big props to you on what you accomplished out there back in June. But uh, before we get into, you know, talking about the FKT, hit us with a little background on yourself, where you're from, where you grow up, how'd you get into the outdoors, and then ultimately what made you set your sights on this FKT up here in the Adirondacks? Cool. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Southwestern Virginia kind of in the Blue Ridge Mountains um, outside of Roanoke. 
And, um, you know, I, I was, it's a super outdoorsy area, but I was never, I wasn't raised particularly like outdoors. I, you know, I would hike occasionally and I was generally athletic, but, you know, didn't, wasn't like super into it. Um, but anyway, and then I ended up going to college in upstate New York. And then in my last year of college, I had a really formative experience taking a rock climbing class where we took a trip to the gunks and it was, I think just one or two nights, um, you know, mostly rock climbing, a little bit of hiking and camping. Um, and that just like totally hooked me. And I was like, Oh, I have to like be out in the wilderness more. Um, and so then that was my last year of college. And then, so kind of starting my first year of grad school, I started, I started like two really new hobbies. One was backpacking and, and hiking a lot, you know, with more focus and then also running, um, for, and originally those were like completely separate things. Like I said, I'd always been like pretty athletic, but like, I'd never, um, done run i never done organized runabout sports and and definitely like didn't do track or cross country in high school um and but yeah so i started running with the um the running club at um at princeton which was where i went to grad school and um yeah you know i was just doing like a pretty traditional i guess like track cross country style training although at a much lower like subcollegiate level because i was a new runner at that time so i was running like 40 miles a week most of the time and battling a lot of overuse injuries and at the same time i was doing you know trying to go hiking and backpacking as as much as i could um and it was actually the fall it was november 2016 which was the first the fall of my first year of grad school and i kind of on a whim had just sort of finished the cross country season with the running club and wanted to, you know, like do a big trip. So I sort of on a whim went up with just one friend up to the Adirondacks had absolutely no idea what I was doing. We went up, I, he would, he just like kind of, he'd been up there before, but just, you know, took a back seat and let me sort of plan the trip. And, and like, I just had no idea what I was doing. I was like, Oh, Mount Marcy is the highest peak in the, in this mountain range. So let's go for that. And so we, you know, lugging like 40 pound packs, we, we parked at the garden, we went up to Marcy and then down and camped like in um, Panther Gorge. That was the first day. And then I was looking at the map, I was totally making this up on the fly. And I was like, oh, you know, there's this like nice string of mountain ranges or, or there's this nice string of mountains that goes like right back towards the garden. So let's just try that. And so we, day two, we basically did the great range <laughs> um, with full packs um, except we didn't get very far because we're carrying 40 pound packs. Um, so, you know, I think we did haystack and basin and I think maybe saddleback. And then we, w- and then we ducked down, um, and camped at one of the lean twos, like down in the Johnsburg Valley. And then day three, we went back up and finished the great, finished the lower great range. And then, you know, and, the, and then back to the car and, but that, w- and it was just like, pure bliss for me like i just had the greatest time i mean i had no idea what i was doing and like those climbs especially with a full pack like that or it was just completely completely horrendous but it was it was so much fun um and you know and i just knew i had to had to come back and that was it was kind of like after that trip um that i started like doing some research online and i found out about like the 46 you know the 46 or club and like that you know hiking all 46 high peaks is a thing um, and so, you know, and, and I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to do this. Um, and then I think it was 
you know, I kind of just continued that same sort of general trend, but I don't think I ever made it up to the Adirondacks the following year. And it was two years later, um, I think in 2018, that I decided I was going to go for a single summer 46 um, over, and I was planning to do it over a course of like four or five, I guess five different back, like, you know, two to three day backpacking trips, which is still like a pretty ambitious Yeah, goal. definitely. Absolutely. Um, but, um, you know, and I had, I spent like tons of time on, um, Caltapo, which I don't know if you know, but it's like an online mapping software, sure, um, sure. you know, and, um, yeah. So, you know, I spent like all spring, I, I, it was, it all, the inception was, you know, it was winter. I was bored. There was a lot of snow was cooped up. And so I was like, oh, I got to, you know, I got to plan something for the summer, um, which happens. This is now sort of like an annual tradition for me. But um, so I was, you know, I was, I was doing my cabin fever summer planning and I just like spent like hours and hours on Caltapa, like planning out routes and like looking at like, how can I do the most peaks and like a two to three day backpacking trip was, and then, and then splitting that up into like four different, four or five different trips. And um, yeah. And so that was that, and that turned out to be sort of the inception of, you know, what became my route for the, the actual unsupported FKT. Um, but Anyway, so that summer I led, I led, I went solo once, I think, and then I led a few groups of friends, but I was always sort of like the primary, you know, leader of, of the backpacking trip. Um, I think we did three or four trips. I didn't get all the peaks, only like, tw- I think, did like maybe 26 or so. One trip, so let's see, there was one trip to the, I did the Sewards solo, um, and it was the Sewards the hard way, where we went, <laughs> I parked at Upper Works. And I was planning to do the Stewards and the Santas, um, but you know I only had one night, and so I I full packed all the way out to Stewards and did the Seward Range day one, or no, I packed all the way out to Stewards and did Seymour, and then I was toasted, um, and so I that was the end of day one, and the day two I did the rest of like Seward Donaldson Emmons and back. And, and then I was just like completely wrecked by that point. So I just like limped all the way back to upper works and I, you know, I didn't get, never got the Santas. Mm. Um, so that was one trip. Um, another trip, we did the great range, um, minus Marcy, um, plus saw teeth with, and that was, um, that was over two, one, that was one, two day, one night, um, with a little bit, that was like, it was a little bit smoother than the first time. Cause I like knew what I was getting into. Um, and then I did, we did the, Dick's Range, also the hard way, where we went from the AMR parking lot, okay, sure, over full pack over Dick's, and then down and camped, camped down, you know, by is that Elk Lake on the other side of Dick's? Yep. Um, and then, and then day two was up, finished the Dick's Range, and then back down, and then full pack all the way back over Dick's um, to the park to the car, so. Um, you know, like it, we, we ended up climbing like that full 3000 feet three times when you only really need to do it once. Yeah. That's, um. a, that, that's, that's not, that is not a 3000 feet, uh, climb to, um, to take lightly either. That is just, yeah, up. it's massive. Yeah, that's uh, it, yeah. I don't want to do that. That I, I'll, <laughs> I'll flat out say, I don't want to do that, but that's, yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it was, you know, I did, these are, these were like, you know, Dick's Range is the hard, definitely the hard way to do it, right? And I think part of it was my ignorance of the mountains and like the right way to choose a trip, but also it was I I love the climbing, like I, I just live for that vertical. And so, you know, I was like 
kind of intent, you know, somewhat intentionally being like, oh, let's do more climbs. Like, let, you know, let's, let's go up and down as much as we can. Um, and okay. So anyway, so that was one summer. And then, but sort of, sort of towards the end of that summer before I managed to like really finish the 46, um, I was starting to get some like issues with my IT band and knee pain. And so I just decided to kind of back off and figured I'd come back and finish it maybe next summer or something. Um, but, and, and that never really happened, but then at some point I just decided like, okay, enough with the single season 46, that didn't work out. I'm just going to go for it all in one push. Like I'm just going to do it. And I was doing some Googling and, you know, found out about the FKT, the, you know, the, the unsupported FKT. Um, there was also, you know, there's also the supported FKT, which is quite a bit faster. And at that point I felt like it was a bit out of my wheelhouse to, you know, do it in like three days. But I was like, at the time the FKT was, um, I think this may have even been before Lucas Weir and Mike Jock did it. So it was the FKT was just from Jan Welford and Corey Delaval, which was like seven, well over seven days um, total time. And I was thinking like, oh, you know, it, like that's that seemed very approachable to me um, naively. And I think I definitely underestimated the the difficulty of even doing it in seven days, 14 hours. But um, but, you know, so I started like planning. So I started thinking like, OK, so now instead of four to five two-day backpacking trips i'll just do it in one like seven day push that was sort of you know how i started thinking about it and training for that i started doing like okay i'm gonna need to do like 30 40 30 40 mile hiking days so i started just like kind of going out every you know like once a month basically and i would do like a huge you know, huge hiking day, try to get like at least, uh, my goal is to get like at least 10,000 feet of elevation gain, um, which, you know, usually would be like at least 40 miles, depending on the trails. Um, and so I would just go out and hike, you know, I was just walking for, for 40 miles. Um, and, you know, and I realized like, this isn't so bad. And then at some point, kind of around that same time, I also started to realize like that, <laughs> Um, I, I started to realize that, you know, hey, I'm really into running. I've been doing this like relative, pretty intense, like track and cross country style road running training. And then I'm really into hiking. And like, what if I combine them and do this like crazy thing called trail running, which I sort of knew about, but I had always for, for no real good reason decided that trail running wasn't for me. Like I wouldn't like trail running, um, which is really stupid um, because I like running and I like trails. Um, and anyway, so at some point I did start to like combine the two and I would, instead of doing like a 40 mile walk, which would take me like 18 hours, I would just, I did like a 40 mile run, um, and did it in like 13 hours, um, which is, you know, still, still a long time to be out on your feet and it's higher intensity, but you know, I covered more ground faster. And then I realized like, okay, so I can do that. I could do this for the 46. And then instead, all of a sudden, instead of doing, you know, 30 to 40 mile days i can push to 40 to 50 mile days and bring that you know bring that fkt down quite a bit um and that's kind of that brings me about to you know where i got to like serious you know seriously approaching this this fkt which is about like the 20 spring of 2020 um and you know and i i basically formulated a plan to do it in like four to five days. Um, and I knew you had Jonathan Zaharik on um, talking about his uns an unsuccessful attempt at this before. 
And he was, you know, he was tossing out the moonshot idea of like three and a half days um, to do to do it unsupported, which I think is totally feasible, actually. Um, and we can talk, you know, maybe as we go through the route, I can explain like kind of where I went wrong and or was slower than the ideal time. But I do think that it can be done in um, less than four, you know, in three sleeps, um, less than four complete days. Um, and, you know, that was sort of my A, that was my, my A goal going in. And my B goal was five days. And I had a, a sort of plan. I had five segments planned. And the, the intention going into it was I can do each of these five segments in about like 16 to 20 hours and then sleep for like eight to four to eight hours each night and then go move on to the next segment. And so that was my fault. My fallback is like, okay, I can definitely do it in like five days four sleeps. And then if I'm feeling really good, the last like two to three days, I can push that lack of sleep and push it down to, you know, to four days or slightly below. That was my plan going in. Um, and then um, I got injured again in like late spring, early summer of 2020. So I pushed back one more, I pushed back my FKT another year and ended up doing it in the 2021 season, um, which, you know, I think turned out to be good for me because I was able to do like even more training and get a, even more experience. Um, mostly by this point, I was going out for like three, I was going out for long runs in the mountains, getting as just like much technical trails and vertical running um, as possible, like pretty much every weekend, um, which for me is like actually a bit of a challenge. Um, I live in New Jersey where it's like, pretty much pancake flat. Um, I have to drive about at least an hour to two hours to get to any like decent, decently steep trails. Um, but I was doing, so I was doing that like once a week, pretty much every week, all the, from like November, 2020 through like the end of May, beginning of June of this year, which is when I stopped to kind of like taper for a few weeks before, um, before I attempted it. Um, but yeah, sorry. So I know I've been, I know I've been rambling a bit, but I think that's kind of, that's kind of my training. Um, and yeah, should I talk about the the actual plan or? Yeah, yeah, we'll get in. Well, yeah, we'll definitely get into it. No, this is great. Cause it's, you're, you're being very thorough with, uh, you know, with everything and what led, led you to this. And it seemed like it was a very gradual transition from, you know, running and hiking and then maybe a little more combined and then a little more combined. And now you're running bigger days. And it's like, it just seems like it all kind of made sense. Your story, your story was a nice flow to getting ultimately to going after this, this attempt. And it's interesting that you did most of your training elsewhere and then came up here for, you know, for the actual attempt. Cause you, I so often in these, in these uh, FKT podcasts, I hear, that people came up here to do to do their training here for that, like in the place that they're actually they're actually hiking. Uh, so that was it's interesting to hear hear that from you. Then you you made it happen wherever you were living in New Jersey, and uh, it it worked out. Yeah, hit me with some uh, hit me with like you know what you had for equipment. So what what did you have? You know yours is unsupported. So we we've we've heard pretty much how you kind of prepared and your route and all this stuff. Your route came from earlier. Uh, in your Cal Topo lifestyle there. So now with your gear, 
What did you have? What backpack, shoes? How big was the backpack? Take us through that whole breakdown of what you brought. Because again, it's just you. So it's it's whatever you can carry. This is an unsupported attempt. So it's very different from a supported attempt. For sure. Um, b- before I do, I just want to say that, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. That like I did, did most of my training not in the Adirondacks, um, which is suboptimal for sure. Mainly that's just a choice of convenience for me. I live over five hour drive from, um, from Keene Valley. So it's, uh, you know, just, it's, it's a big commitment to be able to get out there and just with my, you know, balancing family life and grad school at the time, it just made more sense to like try to do as much of the training close to home as, as I could. Yeah, of um, course. But, uh, yeah, I didn't know. And I do think that like lack of knowledge of the course definitely, slowed, you know, ultimately slowed me down. Um, it's not that I necessarily made a bunch of wrong turns because I had, st- I think I had studied the Caltopo map and like to such a degree that I didn't, I, I hardly needed to navigate. Um, but cause I, I knew my way around, but just, you know, the lack of knowledge of the terrain and like what to expect at every, every step of the way definitely, you know, is a contributing factor. Um, but okay. Yeah. So gear, um, I, so, uh, over as, you know, as this progression, you know, I made this progression towards like, you know, from hiking and backpacking to more trail running and mo- moving fast, the, you know, kind of corresponding with that is moving light. Um, and I definitely, you know, started, it was again, a gradual process of getting into ultralight backpacking and things like that. But, um, so my total kit that I carried, um, the base weight is 11 pounds. So that's, that's everything, basically my pack and everything that I didn't eat or drink or wear, um, was 11 pounds, which is not super light, but, in the grand scheme of things, but dude, I'm carrying... my, my backpack at all times <laughs> is like 35 pounds. So <laughs> I hear that and I just say, holy mackerel, that is, and you're sleeping. Yeah. That is wild. I think, I yes. mean, I guess in the ultralight world, maybe they'd say that's not light, but to me, I'm just like, wow, that's impressive. But, uh, yeah, continue. I mean, it definitely took a lot of effort, you know, it was hard to get it down to 11 pounds, I will say. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, in the ultralight world, I think they don't really consider you a card carrying ultralighter unless your, your base weight is below 10 pounds. Sure. And again, that's not counting food and water, yeah, which I, and I care. I have, I was carrying about 10 pounds of food and then up to about a liter of water at a time. So that's you know, about 12 pounds, 12 extra pounds. So my total pack weight was definitely over 20, but um, okay. still pretty light. Sure. Now let um, me ask you this real quick. Now mm-hmm. there's two different approaches with ultralight and the ultralight crowd. There's the ultralight ultra cheap crowd, and then there's the ultralight very expensive crowd. So which, where do you fall? Cause you could, you could go ultralight and spend like eight bucks, like Eric yeah. Schlimmer does, or you could go ultralight and spend like 800 bucks because you get all these very high end ultralight stuff. Where do you fall in that spectrum? Just out of I'm curiosity. So, no, no, that, that's a, that's a really fair question. I'm definitely, I think somewhere in between. Um, I didn't carry that much cheap stuff, although there are a few things. Um, mostly I will either omit or I, I bought like pretty, pretty nice, you know, ultralight stuff. So, so let's go into it. Right. So my, my shelter, my shelter and sleep system, which is like the bulk of the weight. Um, I had a a mountain laurel designs FKT bivy, which is, it weighs 10 ounces. 
it's a bivy, it's a fully waterproof bivy sack. Um, so a bivy sack, for those who may not know, is just a it's a sleeping bag cover basically. And it you know and mine is fully waterproof. That's basically my tent. In case it rained, I would just like hunker down in the bivy sack. It's absolutely miserable being in a bivy sack when it's raining. I'll just th- throw <laughs> that out there. Fortunately, I never had to. On this trip, I never had to like endure a night of thunderstorms in in the bivy, but um, but that that weighs ten ounces, which you know if you think like for that's co- completely replacing a tent, um, for ten ounces. So and, and it's fairly expensive. I forget exactly how much, but it's definitely like more than two hundred dollars. Okay, sure. Um, and yeah, so that that's my tent essentially, and then I had a um a synthetic fifty degree ultralight quilt. Um from Enlightened Equipment, um, which is a really great brand. I have several quilts made by them. Um, but that weighs, that's rated to 50 degree temperature, weighs 12 ounces. Um, so again, that's that's light. That's honestly the, the one of the least ultralight things that I had, I would say. Um, it's I think it could, I struggled for a long time with how to make my sleep system even lighter um, because I, I felt like it was over the warmth was a little overkill for what I needed because um, I was planning to do the trip in the summer, right around the summer solstice to maximize daylight. And it's very warm. Um, you know, if, if you're not up high, the overnight lows are usually like well above 50, I would say for the most part, although it definitely can get colder, but, um, but yeah, so that was my quilt. Um, I also carried, so the, here's a, here's a cheap item for, for a sleeping pad. I just used one of those, um, you know, $20, like close the $20 foam pads that I cut, I cut up to just be about the length from my hip to my shoulder. Um, and that was, that weighs six ounces, um, which is about as light as any, you know, hundred dollar inflatable sleeping pad you can buy. Um, so that's my, those are kind of the, the biggest items. Then my pack as well, which is sort of like not the most ultra light, but I was going for more functional, with this one, I used an Ultimate Direction uh, Fast Pack, which is for I got have the 30 liter version, so it's um, you know big for a running pack, but small for a backpacking pack. Um, and, but the really nice thing about this style is that it's a uh, it's built like a running vest, so it has water bottle and um, you know food pockets up in the front, so you don't have to take the backpack off as as often. Which you know again is not not, not so much saving weight, but saving time. Um, which is equivalent when you're doing an FKT. Um, so yeah, so I had an, an an ultimate direction fast pack. That was my primary pack to carry the big stuff. And then I also had just a little running vest that weighed like six ounces um, to carry, you know, that, that I would use when I would drop my big pack. Um, so we'll, we'll probably get more into that, but, but the basic plan is to drop the, drop the big stuff, the sleeping stuff, the extra food, the big backpack in strategic locations. And then from there, I would take my, just a really light day pack, you know, run it and run as much as possible and come back and pick up the big stuff and move it after, you know, strategic times. Sure. Sure. That Um, makes perfect sense. Sounds like a good strategy overall. And the same strategy that most people kind of uh, employ when they're going after these unsupported FKTs. Yes. Um, although I think we'll get to, we'll get to this, but I definitely took a bit of a bolder strategy along that line. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll get to that. Sure. But, um, 
Uh, but yeah, the one other thing I wanted to, <laughs> to throw is a lot of that pack weight is coming from the bear canister, right? Uh, um, so the, Adirondack High Peaks, yes, got to carry the bear canister. Um, it's got to be the you know the the solid the you know the what, I forget what you call it, but but not the um, not the bear vault because the, the bears can open the bear vault bear canisters, right? So um, you got to carry like the 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 solid opaque bear canister mm-hmm. um so that's i can't you know i just have like the regular old like garcia um canister you know it's like i forget the volume it's like maybe seven or ten liter volume it weighs over two and a half pounds um so <laughs> that that is that is the least ultralight thing that i carry Absolutely. but you know, it's out of necessity yeah um, and there's no real way to uh there's no real way to ultralight that item unfortunately yep. but uh that brings us to uh what you had inside it food take us through yeah so I had that thing absolutely stuffed. Um, I, you know, I was planning for five days, um, and I've done, I've done recently big day efforts um, of you know just single day like up to you know twelve sixteen hours, um, and and I sort of had a decent idea for like how much food I needed for that you know f- for during the day, but I severely underestimated how much food I would need sort of to recover in between the, you know, sort of to account for like when I finish my big day hike and then I go home and I eat a Chipotle burrito and then like, I don't even know, an extra like 2000 calories on top of that. Right. Um, so, but anyway, I carried, I had about 4,000 calories per day, um, for, for you know multiply by five days but hold on let, let, let me pause you right there yeah because i know <laughs> zaharic jonathan is going to listen to this episode say it again how many calories did you have per day yeah it, for, four thousand yeah just over four thousand per day um jonathan and i have talked uh extensively about this how i always i have rag on him for the, not having nearly the right amount of calories uh i'm sure he is, he'll chuckle as he listens to this but yeah oh, continue continue and, and well and and this you know we will get to this in the story but it comes back to bite me Uh oh, okay um, now now, now jonathan's laughing at me as yeah. he listens to this but okay continue <laughs> Um, no, because, okay. So I don't, this is basically, this was not enough food, not nearly enough food. Um, I don't know. I'm actually now confused. James, are you, would Jonathan want to carry a significantly less or more than this? No, less. He always, he would carry much less calories. And I was always saying, dude, you don't have enough calories. Uh, but you're saying even 4,000 per day was not enough. I, I was starving by oh, day five. Sure. I was, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> but yeah, so most of that or, or almost half of that is coming from just goo gels. Um, I had, I would carry 16 gels per day. Um, and that's something that I know I can just get down no matter what, you know, at any time, any place, any, no matter how my stomach's feeling and, and something I practice with a lot when I run. So so just the regular goo energy gels, they're like one ounce, 100 calories, basically just pure sugar. Um, and I would carry 16 of those per day. And then in addition to that, I just had like a variety of, um, you know, a variety of foods. I mainly stick with, you know, carbohydrates. I don't do fats as much. I'd, I've never tried to like fat adapt, get fat adapted or anything like that. Um, so I would have, I had some tailwind, had some instant mashed potatoes, um, some these like little soft pretzel bites, 
um, peanut butter crackers, tortillas, a um, little bit of beef jerky. Um, but yeah, you know, so that's about it. So again, there's about half gels and half real food um, and about 4,000 4, calories per day total, um, which came to the, the total weight. Sorry, I've got to pull this up. Yeah, about 10 pounds of food um, for, for the five days. And like I said, that was not quite enough. <laughs> I basically ran out of food by the end of the fourth day. Oof. That's uh, that must be scary being out there tr- that far into the, into your, you know, into your attempt and then to just flat out run out of food. Yeah. Yikes. Um, it, it was scary, but at the same time, I sort of knew I had, you know, I had bailouts if I needed them. Um, by the, by the fifth day, I'm basically walking, I'm literally like walking almost through the town of Lake Placid. Sure. Um, so I knew I had bailouts plus, I mean, I just was in, I was totally in the zone the entire time. There was never a doubt in my mind that I wasn't going to finish no matter what. Um, and so I just, you know, I was just able to kind of completely push through it, um, even without food. All right. Now, uh, while you were out there, I like to ask people this question too. While you were out there, what, you know, maybe at the end of the day, what food, if you could have had anything flown into you, what did you want the most? Tell me about a meal that you were just craving. Pepperoni pizza. Ah, good call. Absolutely. And, and I usually get that. I've, I've realized it's really only been the last year, but, but I, I've realized that I get that craving for, for pepperoni pizza. Um, when, you know, when I'm doing these big days and I was, it was compounded by the fact that at some point, so I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but there's, you know, there's a big road walk that from, you know, when you finish like the lower 44 peaks to get up to Whiteface and Nestor, um, which is the, you know, which I saved for the very end. Um, And on that, that road walk was the only time that I used my phone for anything other than just tracking um, or navigation. And I, I called my wife to like, let her know that I was okay and like discuss the logistics of her picking me up. But then I listened to a podcast um, while I was walking and completely randomly that podcast happened to be an interview with an ultra runner who's also a pizza maker and they were talking about pizza the entire time <laughs> and this is at this is day five I was completely out of food it was absolute torture <laughs> yeah I bet I bet <laughs> um but yeah pizza definitely was was what I was craving and then at the at the very end my wife you know, met me at the trailhead with pizza and a bunch of other food, but it was, and that, that was really amazing. I bet it went down quick too. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I think I ate like the entire, you know, an entire, like, I don't know, 16 inch pizza and you know, 20 minutes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. I always tell people, uh, if you, so after your hike, you go to Stewart's, if you can hit Stewart's when they have like a fresh pizza out, whoa, does it hit hard? And it is tasty in that moment. But anyways, all right, cool. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. So day one, which was a, which was Tuesday, June 22nd, you yeah. began. So now this was interesting. You began at the Allen mountain trailhead, or that's where you, yep. you, you know, you started your clock and everything 550 yep. AM, but then yep. you immediately walked down the sand, down the upper works road, or up the Upper Works Road, however you want to look at it, to the Santanoni <laughs> Range. So, what was that? Uh, what was that reasoning? 
So that goes back to this, you know, the underlying strategy for this route, for this route that I laid out, which is, you know, very similar, but slightly different than what people have done previously for the unsupported FKT. Um, would, and the underlying principle is just to minimize the amount of time I have to carry that bear canister. Basically. Ah, sure, um, sure. And so I started where I wanted to finish for day one. So I didn't have to carry that bear canister basically at all on day one. Um, so I started at the Allen trailhead and then, so then I can start immediately, you know, I just set down my pack. I put them, have my ultralight, you know, just one day's worth of food and my, and running vest water, you know, and water bottles. And that's basically it. And I just like run, you know, down the road, hit the Santa, you know, Santa Noni trailhead and, you know, head up that way. I did the Santas, um, you know, quickly, and um and then you know and then over to the sewards and then back and that was basically a full day but you know and it's a lot of miles right i think it, by doing it this way i'm adding i forget exactly but like probably at least 10 maybe more miles but i'm trading those miles for you know they're fast miles yeah instead of bushwhack miles. miles yeah well not only just the, not only saving the bushwhack but you know just saving the the heavy pack, right? Okay, the load sure. on your feet, which yep. I, I was, you know, I may have overestimated the, you know, the benefit of not carrying the heavy pack, but it's, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I don't regret it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, it worked for me. Um, and partly because mentally I knew, so that, that first day, right? So doing the Santas, then the Sewards, and then back to um, the Allen Trailhead comes out to i think like 40 miles uh, so let me pull it up i have a uh, 44 miles thirteen thousand. yeah 44 feet miles thirteen thousand feet of gain which is something that it's a lot it's definitely a big day but it's something that i've done plenty of times by this point um running mm-hmm. and you know and i know i could do it in well less than a full day like you know 16 hours or less sure um, and so you know something that i was mentally comfortable with it was a you know kind of a bite-sized start okay right um, so yeah, so anyway, it went pretty smoothly the day, the weather was pretty crappy that day. It was cold and rainy. Um, I was just like soaked to the bone by the time I got to the top of Cincinnati. Um, you know, and I was just like, I had a chill like the whole rest of the day because which no, is the first wet. mountain of the day. Just so yeah, people no, know that's the, the, that's the, yeah, first mountain. the very beginning, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> only 45 more mountains to go. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it wasn't the best start. Um, and plus wet feet yeah. on a multi-day effort is, you know, a huge, you know, something you don't, you don't want to have. Um, but there's not always, you can't always control it. Um, and definitely those herd paths, you know, they're muddy, they're, sure. it, they're slick. Like there's no way to keep your feet dry really, especially when it's like actually raining. Um, now that's one thing we didn't hit on in the, uh, in the, the gear talk. What, uh, shoes were you wearing? What, what was that? Oh yeah. Good. Um, yeah. So I like the i i basically always for technical trails i wear la sportiva bushitos okay um, which are a relatively light but still very sturdy like technical trail running shoe um not a lot of cushion um and and they're relatively tight fitting um so they're you know they're really they handle really well over technical trails when you're trying to move fast but the flip side is and and this also kind of came back to bite me in the end um, you know, as my feet would swell up, they were really tight. Um, and that only contributed to like blisters and mm. loss, losing toenails and things like that. Oh, 
brutal. Now, when I have gone backpacking, I've always said to myself, man, I'm just going to start carrying two pairs of shoes because so that I can switch and keep switching shoes. Uh, but like, you know, all you guys who do these FKTs, you're just doing them all in the one pair of shoe. So did you not switch anything or like, do you not feel the need to like, even if you were to switch an insole, let's say suddenly at that point, the shoe becomes like something different and like, it's going to hit the bottom of your foot slightly different, you know, and therefore keep foot fatigue down. You don't feel, you know, go 44 miles, 40 miles, 35 miles. So you're not feeling that, you know, that. I guess fatigue is probably the best word by wearing the same shoe every day after day. No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think it's the same shoe. Like bringing insoles is an interesting idea at the very least, because if it gets, if the insole, like when the shoe gets wet, it's really the insole that is the, um, you know, what's holding the water. So bringing dry insoles is not a bad idea in that sense. But in terms of like comfort, I don't think, at least for me, I don't think that makes much difference. Um, I mean, I know these shoes work really well for me. I basically don't get blisters with them. Uh I did get some, you know, due to having really prolonged prolonged periods of time with wet feet and then also swollen feet. But, you know, in general, I don't, I don't have issues with these shoes. Um, There, it's not a lot of cushioning to begin with. So there's not a lot of like deflation (laughs) of the cushioning, uh, which yeah, which, you know, so they hold up really well. And the other thing is I started with a brand, you know, straight out of the box, brand new pair of shoes mm-hmm. um, to try to maximize that, you know, lifetime over the course of the five days. So got it. All right. Yeah. So uh, you got to Santanoni, it was raining, and then you had to head, o- head over to Kooksacraga Panther, and then you had to go over to the Seward Range. So how did the rest of the day end up? So, you know, it was pretty smooth. I was, you know, I was like the only person up on the center, or, or there were two people up on the center range. One of them was me. Um, I saw one other woman. We kind of crossed at Times Square at least once or twice. Um, but, but yeah, you know, so I went from Santa down to Times Square, hit Cooch and then Panther. It was all pretty quick. Um, I was moving fast. You know, I was excited. Had, you know, like I had only my light pack and fresh legs. Um, I was maybe moving a little too fast. Those herd, pa- I'd never been on the Santa range, right? But those, those herd paths are, um, you know, they're pretty tight. Um, I would go, going down the hills, I'd be taking the downhills pretty aggressive to try to, you know, move fast. And I would reach out my hands to like, you know, brace against a tree to like hit a sharp turn or, you know, just like provide some extra stability. And, you know, those pine trees, they have those like really jagged, like sharp, like broken branch nubs and things like that. And I just, my hands got cut to pieces by the time I was at the, you know, by the time I descended all the way from Panther, like back down to, I just, I followed the main herd path. So I was, I went down Panther to uh, Bradley Pond. And, you know, by the time I had re- got back to the Bradley Pond trail, like my hands were just completely sliced open. Like I had oh, just no. like cuts all over them. Um, and those, ne- those never healed over the next five days. So for basically the rest of the time, it hurt to touch anything with my, with the palms of my hands. So That's that brutal. was not good. No, yeah. not at all. Um, but, but yeah, so then from the, you know, from the base of the Santas, I just followed the Bradley Pond Trail, which is, you know, pretty rugged or maybe not rugged, but overgrown um, and seldom used is was the sense that I got. Again, I'm not, I'd not taken the Bradley Pond Trail before, but, mm-hmm. but followed the Bradley Pond Trail up to Duck Hole. Um, it connects with the, mpt briefly yep. right and then um 
and then over on the, what's that Ward Brook trail, right. To, um, to the Seward range. And I hit, you know, went up and down Seymour. I don't, you know, honestly, I don't really remember too much about this, this part of the day. It was, let me check my times. Um, it was, by the time I reached the base of Seymour, it was noon. Um, and then I went so up and down Seymour in less than two hours. Uh, and then up the Seward range, I reached Donaldson by 4.30 and then, or, or sorry, Emmons by by four o'clock. And then I was back down at the bottom of the Seward's by before six o'clock. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, it was going pretty smooth other than my hands being cut up and just being wet and a little bit cold. Um, you know, it was, I was moving fine. My legs felt good. You know, I, at this point I'm still like well within like what I've done in training multiple times. Sure. Um, sure. And yeah. And then from the base of Seward, um, you know, it's basically just m- mostly flat. It's a lot of, you know, a lot of like minor elevation. Mm-hmm. I just followed Ward Brook Trail back to Duck Hole. And then from Duck Hole, the, I forget what that trail is, but the, the trail that goes straight to Upper Works basically yep. um, by Henderson Lake. Um, and then, yeah, you know, so that was a, that was long. I was tired, you know, I was tired that those, those stretches just seemed to like go forever. Um, I'd done, I'd done this part of the, these trails before. Um, and you know, similarly that it was that day I did the, the sewer range the hard way. Right. Yep. Um, I had, you know, so it was, I was definitely having flashbacks to just like that feeling of like, where's the freaking parking lot? Like I can't, it, it won't end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I know that and, feeling very well. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, so eventually I made it back, um, you know, to the upwards parking lot and then there's just like probably half a mile or so on the road back to down to the Allen trailhead, um, picked up my pack. It's, uh, I, I got back to my pack at the Allen trailhead at, um, nine o'clock, um, PM. And then I just hiked for like 15 minutes over to Lake Jimmy and that's where I just crashed, um, which, I think, you know, I, I don't think I made too many mistakes, um, over the course of the, you know, entire trip, but I think stopping at Lake Jimmy was one of them. I should have kept going. Interesting. Um, this is, you know, I was sticking to my original plan, which was, you know, again, like basically five, like 40 to 50 mile days. Um, and you know, where I knew I, I thought I would be able to do each of them in like, you know, about 16 hours and then get like a really nice, like eight hours of sleep every, after every day. Um, and, you know, and at the end of day one, I just, you know, I had just been moving from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., right? So it's, I'm, I'm ahead of schedule actually, right? Yep. Um, I've only been moving for 15 hours. And, and so I was just, and I was tired, right? And so I was like, I'm just going to stick to schedule and I get a nice long sleep, um, which, and I, and I think in the grand scheme of things, I regret that. I think I should have pushed a little more, like maybe carried my pack to the base of Allen or something along those lines. Um, because, you know, as we'll get to in the next few days, I was well behind schedule and, you know, and I think that's mainly attributable to the difference between fresh legs and not fresh legs, but I should have capitalized on my fresh legs when I had them. 
Um, sure, sure. And as as each day goes, you are getting less and less and less sleep uh, between each day. So you stopped at Lake Jimmy. So a quick recap. You did Santanoni, Cooksacraga, Panther, Seymour, Seward, Donaldson, Emmons, approximately 44 miles, 13,000 feet of gain on day one. Yep. You started on the Bradley Pond Trail to Santanoni, herd paths up to Santanoni, Cooksacraga, Panther. Then you descended the Bradley Pond Trail, followed the Bradley Pond Trail to Duck Hole, over to the Ward Brook Trail to the Seward Range, where you started with Seymour. Then you hit Seward, Donaldson, and Emmons down the Ward Brook Trail to Duck Hole to follow and follow to Upper Works Trailhead and then the road back to the Allen Trailhead where you have ultimately camped at Lake Jimmy. That's a big day. It's a big day, day one. But you were able to get a, a regular night's sleep. So I would have yes. to think that that, that, that uh, would probably set you on a good pace, I would say, going into day two, almost like, because you know that the sleep is going to be a huge element day to day. So like, it almost feels like if you're getting that big normal night's sleep that you're almost like restarting at day two, because it's like, okay, I'm fresh. You're not, I mean, you're not fresh, fresh, but you're not as grizzled, <laughs> you know, compared compare to like a 20 minute sleep or two hours of sleep, seven hours is, is a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely true. You know, and that's what I was thinking at the time. And it's hard to say what's really the, you know, the optimal way to do it. And sure. I'm sure it's different for everyone. Right. But, um, I, I, you know, and I did feel, I, you know, I got almost eight hours of sleep, which is, you know, really fantastic. Um, and I felt well rested at least in terms of like that mental, like, you know, fogginess that you get from sleep deprivation at the time, you know, on the morning of day two, but, you know, my legs were and feet were really stiff after, you know, stopping that long. Right. And so I think it's, it's kind of a trade off there because it's not, you know, seven hours of sleep is not enough time to really recover, um, f to get those muscles healed. Um, and so it's, it, I think it's almost detrimental to, to oversleep it too early on in something like this. A anyway, that's a, if I were to do this again, that would be something I would consider would be to push, you know, push that, reduce that first night's of sleep a little bit more okay um, all right but, but yeah anyway so i slept yeah I, I got into camp at lake jimmy around nine you know i probably like dawdled and ate and for about an hour or so and then i slept from like 10 to five or six ish and then i you know woke up ate a little more food packed up i let you know i started walking at 6 30 the next morning um from like Jimmy, uh, got to Allen. It, it was uh, got to Allen at eight o'clock, um, or sorry, the the Allen Herd Path, right where the, where the um, what's that trail called? But the, where the the Mark Trail branches off from the Herd Path. Yep. There's a nice little like like glen, um, you know, like a grassy spot. Yep. It was getting some sunlight in the morning. Um, it was a great little spot. <laughs> And I dropped my pack. So I dropped my pack. I set out my stuff to try to dry it out because everything was soaked from, um, you know, from the previous day. Uh, whereas t day two was was super nice. It was warm and sunny and dry. Um, so I, you know, set my stuff out to dry in the sun. And then I went off, you know, I left it out cooking in the sun and I went up and down Allen. Um, I was, let's see, three, about three hours up and down Allen. Um, so I got back to that spot where I dropped my stuff around 11 30. Um, I don't really remember much from Alan. 
like I, I never, I never summited Alan before there was, you know, I, that slide is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I, the only thing I really remember was finding a New York Yankees ball cap like that had gotten washed away and it was like, you know, kind of halfway down the slide that I found and I, I picked it up and put it in my bag, um, to care, you know, dispose of properly. But, um, that's, that's really all I remember, honestly. Okay. Um, but Alan's tough. Uh, I mean, Alan, like the climb yeah. up Alan, I mean, it's, it's a rugged little climb, but, uh, you didn't notice the, you know, like the slippery rock or anything like that, that didn't, that didn't grab your, your attention. I remember on the descent. Yeah. It was like, I was definitely very cautious, had to be very cautious coming down. Um, cause yep. it was, it was definitely wet. Um, you know, it had rained the, it had rained the whole previous day and I'm sure it's just always wet going on that slide. Right. Um, oh yeah. It's just, and, it's You know, they, yeah. everyone jokes the Allen slime. So it's just really yeah. legitimately very slippery. And I, every time I come down Allen and I make it down, uh, fortunately I've never fallen, but every time I get down, it's always like, Oh, thank God I didn't have, take a, take a big splash, uh, yeah. because it is slick coming down. But anyway, so then you, uh, went back picked up your your pack and then you started on you started on your trip over to the lake colden area so take us through yeah that. yeah so i trekked up the trail um east river trail i guess from towards flow lands and lake colden um and that was just kind of like long and you know it was a bit of a slog you know i was carrying my full pack right so you know this is still probably about 20 pounds at this point um and you know th that trail is you know, again, pretty seldom used from what I could tell. Um, not super challenging, but it's like a, gra it's a pretty long gradual uphill. Um, and then there's hanging spear falls. I want to say, um, there's a waterfall around there where it gets pretty steep for a bit. Um, I lost, it was, it, like I said, seldom used and pretty overgrown. I lost the, um, so I had, so I'm good doing this in like mid June, right. Which is like very, it's very buggy, you know, a lot of mosquitoes that time of year. Right. And, um, I had try, I was trying a new system where I had this, um, sun hat that had like, a, you know, with like a, a neck flap, right. Which is nominally to keep your, the, the sun off your neck. Um, but I was using, I was, I was wearing it in hopes of keeping some mosquitoes out of my face and off my neck. Um, which, and I think it works pretty well, but it didn't, the one I was using, like, wasn't like, it didn't secure to my, my ball cap and so like going through some of that the thick stuff in that section of trail got knocked off um knocked off my head and i ended up losing it um just because i i got by the time i got up to flow lands i was like oh i had this you know i had this neck flap and now i don't i don't know where i lost it mm -hmm. um somewhere in that section hopefully someone found it at some point <laughs> yeah for sure but I mean, I was right on it. It must be, it must have just like been right on the trail. I'm sure someone, someone ended up finding it. Um, but yeah, you know, that, uh, it was a, you know, it's a easy to underrate climb, I would say, but, uh, you know, it was tough. Finally made it up to flood lands. Um, and I went, you know, and over to Lake Colden and looking for a campsite. Um, my next plan was to go up to Marshall. Uh, and so, you know, I was looking for just a tent site somewhere in that area, um, which were, you know, it's pretty crowded. It was pretty crowded. Um, I had trouble, like the lean twos were all taken, although I wasn't part of my unsupported ethos. I decided I was going to not use lean twos. Oh, um, okay. but you know, which is, I think a 
unimportant distinction, but just for me, it didn't feel right. Um, but anyway, all the lynxes were taken in that area. Um, but I did find a campsite sort of just on the other side of the river, um, like right in between, right in between the floodlands and Lake Colden. You like cross the river and there are some campsites over there. Um, and so I, I dropped my stuff in an empty tent site there. Um, that was around 1.45 in the afternoon by this point. Um, and then I I just, I sat, I, you know, refilled water, ate some food. And then I left again at like 2.30 um, to head up Marshall. And I saw, this is where I like, so I had seen a decent number of people on Allen. Um, like I said, I saw almost no one the first day in the Santas and Stewarts. And then had encountered a decent number of people on Allen. And then no one again going all the way up, you know, fr- from Allen to Floodlands. And I met some people um, coming down from Marshall and I remember just asking them like, Oh, you know, like I've never done Marshall before. Like what's it like? And they were just like, Oh, it's the easiest, it's the easiest high peak. <laughs> and I was like, that's Oh, great. You know, that's awesome. Like I'll, you know, I'll just like breeze up it. And I remember like being halfway up Marshall and just, you know, just like, what is she talking about? Like, this isn't easy. <laughs> like I was, it wasn't, you know, I was still feeling pretty good and like I was up for the, you know, up for the climbs, but definitely, you know, nothing's easy. Right. I would say, yeah, nothing's easy. That's that, that would be my response. Nothing's easy. That's not the word I'd use to describe it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but so I summited Marshall 322, um, and, you know, relatively uneventful from what I remember. So then I take the, the kind of Northeast herd path down to Colbert pass. Um, and then, up to Iroquois, um, but I bushwhacked from Coldbrook Pass to up to Iroquois um, on the. I don't even remember. I had no idea what I was doing, by the way. So I'd never done this before either. Um, I had seen that people have done this bushwhack. Um, I've kind of looked at their GPS files and stuff. Yep. And I had like a vague notion that there's like shepherd's tooth and you want to avoid the cliffs. Um, but I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, so I just kind of I found this like little gully. Um, and like what seemed like maybe some semblance of a herd path. And so I just kind of followed it. Um, it was rough going, you know, that was a, that was slow, steep, wet, um, and thick. And, but, you know, I made it up, um, in decent time, I would say. So I was 345 at Colbrook pass. And then I reached the Iroquois summit 430. Um, so 45 minutes. Yeah, up. Not too bad. Um, not too bad at all. And yeah, you know, I got lucky. I mean, I definitely didn't, you know, I didn't get cliffed out um, or, you know, really have to like, the bushwhack could go horribly wrong, especially if you've never done it before, right? Like you could easily end up like taking a circuitous route or kind of, you know, backtracking a little bit, but, um, have, or being forced to backtrack. But, but anyway, it went pretty smoothly for me. So I basically just made it straight up 430 on top of Iroquois. And then I was just flying across the max um, at that point. I just, you know, cruised over to Algonquin down and then up and down right. Um, I was, you know, the I was feeling good. Um, I was moving really well at that point. The sun was kind of like just starting to get low in the sky and it was like really beautiful on top of Algonquin. Um, and I remember like there's a lot of, you know, going down Algonquin is pretty typical Adirondack terrain, right? It's um, just a lot of just like rock slab boulders. on the trails and, and boulders yeah um 
and you know going on the descents i remember like my toes were starting to hurt from like hitting the front of my shoes um you know just constantly because you know my feet are constantly in that extended you know toes down state to like keep up with the the slope of the terrain as i'm descending and i'm running at this point i'm still running all the descents so i'm i'm moving fast my feet are kind of getting a little bit pounded i remember feeling my toes hurting which was a new sensation for me because like i've done you know i've done like big day runs but i not really trained on like multi-day runs okay um and so yeah you know so i was like what is what is this feeling that i'm feeling and then turn eventually it it was basically the beginnings of losing toenails um and just my my big you know my biggest toes just getting pounded at the front of my shoes um but you know i just i kind of pushed through that um and i was still you know making pretty good time um, from, like I said, so 4.30 on the Iroquois summit. And then I was, after having already crossed Algonquin and then up and down right, I was down at the base of right at 5.30. So that was just an hour. Um, and then, down, you know, just kind of like a long descent from there down to uh, Heart Lake. Um, those are like breezy trails um, from what I remember. Like, you know, these are like, the most well-trodden trails in the whole high peaks wilderness, I guess. Um, and just, you know, as you get closer to the lodge, like it's just, the trails are wider. There are fewer rocks, just easier to move quick. Um, that's what I remember. And I made it down to Hart Lake at like six 30. Um, it was well, I mean, it was like, I forget, this is like Wednesday, right? So it's not like exactly prime time, but I remember feeling like it was popping. Like I passed a lot of people a lot of people like hanging out at their campsites and like, you know, it's the end of the day. So people are leaving, but like, I, I definitely got the sense of like, there's like all this stuff, you know, people cooking, you know, cooking at their campfires yep. and like, it was the closest to civilization I'd been in several, in a couple of days at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's a, um, it's a good vibe around that, that time yeah. of day over, over at the lodge for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I didn't, I kind of skirted the lodge. I didn't want, you know, I'm, I'm doing it unsupported, right? And I didn't want like the temptation of, of buying food or anything. Um, so, you know, I skirted the lodge over, you know, on the Southwest going around the Southwest side of Heart Lake, um, which I remember there's this really, it felt really cruel to me at the time. There's like a little ski hill, right? Um, if you follow that trail, like, so coming down from the McIntyre range, and then turning left, like right before you get to Heart Lake, and then you kind of go up this like little ski hill around these shelters, and then back down to the to the west side of Heart Lake. And I remember just like that little is probably like a one hundred foot climb, like just that that like killed me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, this is supposed to be flat. Um, and yeah. So anyway, so I'm you know, and then from there over to Street and I. Um, you know, which there's like kind of a long approach. I was moving pretty, you know, still moving pretty well. And then I kind of cruised up Street and I, um, I summited, let me see here, Street at 8.12 and then Nye at 8.30. Um, and then I started heading down and, you know, it's the sun is basically, I just caught like the last end of the sunset around on, on Nye from what I remember. And it's starting to get dark. Um, you know, and I'm descending the east, you're on the east side of the mountains, right? So it's like I'm in the shadows as I'm going down. And I turn my headlamp on probably like two thirds of the way down nigh. Um, and around like kind of right at the bottom, like right before you get you cross 
that creek back over into uh, like the you, there's that stream crossing kind of right at the bottom where it's you know and then from there it's like mostly flat over to Heart Lake. Yep. Um, yep. And right before I got to that stream crossing, I dropped and I was feeling pretty tired, so I just like took a 20 minute power nap. Um, just like you know, lay, lay down in the dirt, put my you know put my rain jacket on to just try to keep some extra heat in. Um, and and lay down and nap for 20 minutes and you know i think i fell asleep like you know instantly sure um and but you know woke up i felt better like i you know my head was feeling pretty clear um it's probably like you know 9 30 at this point and you know like but but i'm feeling like i'm i'm having this feeling like okay it's it's dark like i've and I'm, I've never done this. I've never been to the lodge. Like I've never, I've never done this section of the high peaks before. Um, unfamiliar terrain. It's dark. Everyone else is like nice and cozy by their campfires and their lean tos and whatever. And I was, it was definitely like a bit of a low point coming back to Heart Lake around like 1030. And this is where I made my biggest mistake of the trip where I decided the original plan is to kind of do the to complete that the loop back to Lake Colden, which I would say is, you know, kind of is pretty obvious and and traditional, I, I think, for for doing these um the unsupported FKT to, you know, complete the loop by going to tagging Phelps tabletop and then Mount Colden. Sure. Um and then back to back to my base camp, which is what I originally planned to do. Um but you know I was I was pretty low at this point and cold and tired. Um because I didn't even bring my that day I didn't even have like my puffy jacket with me. So I was, you know, after like I woke up shivering from that dirt nap and then, you know, I got moving again, but like I was still cold and I didn't want to, I'd never, um, Phelps tabletop cold and never done any of those summits before. And I was feeling uneasy about doing them in the dark for the first time. Um, so I, I, you know, in retrospect, I regret this, but I decided to just take the easy way back. Um, to my base camp. Um, so I kind of, you know, cut off rather than going around that, the Mount Van trail, right. Which goes up to Marcy and from which you can tag Phelps and tabletop. Yep. Um, I just went straight up like towards avalanche Lake. Um, and you know, which is still like a decent climb, but nothing, you know, but no, no peaks. Right. And so I just, I just followed that trail up avalanche Lake, Lake Colden back to my campsite, um, got back to that tent site at like just after midnight, about around 1230. And that's where I crashed. And I slept for about, I think like four hours that night, um, which, you know, felt, felt short. It was late. This was, this was the time, like I said, where I really felt like I was pressing into uncharted territory, right? Both literally in the sense that I'd never done, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with this area of the high peaks wilderness, but then also the fact that it's my, you know, second full day of like being on my feet. Um, and it's dark. Like that was, it was just, you know, my mental power at that point was pretty low. So, you know, I, t- I took the, took the easy way back and, um, you know, got it still managed to get a decent amount of sleep. A, de- a decent amount of sleep, four hours of sleep, or maybe a slightly less like that. I mean, at this point though, obviously, you know, like, you know, that's a, uh, that is a decent amount of sleep, I suppose. And in, in, in the grand scheme of things and what I've heard from people talking, to, I've, you know, speaking to so many people about these, 
sort of attempts. Yeah, that is a that's a good chunk of time. And I have had, I have had, I think on the last FKT episode I did, um, she mentioned that if she was to do it again, she would probably do like naps instead of night sleep. That would be her approach. Yeah. Uh, and then you can just more consistently take naps, naps, naps. But um, especially if you're not you're not against uh, climbing in the dark. But anyway, so yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a that's another big day. But you know, and at the end of doing Street and I, like, even I've, obviously you you intended, as you said, to do Phelps Tabletop and Colden, which is still like a big chunk of mountains. But even if you don't, you're not going to do that, and you still have to get back to Lake Colden. Like even at the end of Nye, you yeah. still have a long way to go. You know, even though it's like flatter ish, even though it's not yeah. necessarily flat, but even if you're not intending to hit those mountains at that hour and it's dark and you're tired and you're cold, like you still had a long way to go, but ultimately you made it, which is good. And then you got about four hours of sleep, which would set you up for day three, which was the biggest day of the hike in terms of elevation gain. And we're going to break things up right there. So far, we've heard day one and day two of Matt Machella's FKT, unsupported, that is, of the 46 high peaks, and uh, as well as the prep, what he did to prepare his gear, his food breakdown, and everything along those lines. So since there's so much to talk about, and since I try to keep every podcast summit session to an hour, I'm actually going to break this episode up into two parts. So uh, tune back in next week to hear day three, four, and five of Matt's unbelievable FKT. Thanks to everyone for listening to this week's Summit Session right here on the 46 of 46 podcast. And make sure you listen next week for part two of Matt Machella's unsupported FKT of the 46 High Peaks. You are in for a doozy of a story next week. Remember to always leave no trace, do the rock walk, and if you carry it in, carry it out. See you on the trails, everybody, and see you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.